You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning, church family. Brothers and sisters, can I just say how good it is to sing with you on Sunday mornings? It, it is so good to hear your voices lifted. As we sang about the greatness of God, as we just took time to sing about our Savior's love for us, even though we are undeserving sinners. I, I hope you know on Sunday mornings, we, we don't just sing to praise God. We sing to edify one another also. The scriptures tell us that. And so I just want to just thank you that on Sunday mornings I am edified. As I stand up here and I just hear this wave of different voices all proclaiming the same truth. It it ministers to my soul and I pray that it's ministered to yours also. Well, I have the privilege now of opening God's Word, reading it, and then proclaiming a wonderful message God has for us this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, we're in the Gospel according to Luke chapter 7. Our scripture text will be verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I want to invite you to follow along now as I read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative Word. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. On January 2nd of this year, something occurred at the end of a routine play during a Monday night football game that caused people's heart to sink all over the country. And as word spread, people all over the nation were united in prayer. On that night, Buffalo Bills defensive player DeMar Hamlin took a hard hit to his chest while trying to tackle his opponent who had just caught a pass. After falling to the ground, after making this tackle, a routine tackle it appeared, DeMar Hamlin stands to his feet like all the other players And after a few seconds, he collapses on the field in front of the thousands there in attendance and before the millions who are watching the game on TV. Immediately after DeMar Hamlin falls to the ground, the athletic trainers rushed on the field. To their dismay, they realized very quickly that Hamlin was suffering cardiac arrest And if they did not act immediately, he would die right there on the field. So without delay, the athletic trainers and the team doctor began CPR. They used an AED machine to shock his heart in hopes of getting it to beat again. And while they worked hard to save DeMar, all the players, all the coaches, all the fans, and many all over America began to pray, Lord, have mercy on this man. After about 20 minutes of life-saving CPR, he was finally rushed to a nearby hospital where doctors and specialists were waiting. DeMar remained unconscious and in critical condition for two or three days. He eventually gained consciousness. He started to speak to his family. He was able to speak to the medical professionals and even to a few teammates. And like a true athlete, his first question was, did we win the game? Since that day, DeMar Hamlin has made a full recovery and plans to start the season this coming year for the Buffalo Bills. Now, if you're wondering, why why am I telling you this story today? Well, maybe you saw the headlines that this past week, DeMar Hamlin was given the privilege of presenting the entire athletic training team of the Buffalo Bills with the Pat Tillman Award for Outstanding Service. This award is given during a ceremony called the ESPY Awards. They're kind of like athletes' Oscar ceremonies. And during that ceremony, for a number of years now, there is an award named after Pat Tillman, the former Arizona Cardinal linebacker who died serving his country He 
is now given, or there's this award that is given in his honor. And Damar Hamlin took the stage in front of all of these folks and was given the opportunity to present this award to these men and women who saved his life. And as you can imagine, he was overcome with emotion. As soon as he walked out, tears began to flow. Everyone in the room stood to their feet and clapped for him. But once the entire crew that was receiving the award that night came on stage, Damar lost it. This strong athlete lost it. It's not just that tears began to flow. He, he walked up to those men and just put his head on their shoulder and began to weep. There were long embraces. And as the cameras panned the room on several occasions, a room primarily made up of professional athletes from various sports, as you can imagine, tears were running down the faces of men and women as they applauded those receiving this award. Now here's the question. Why? Why the tears and the hugs? What caused this young, strong athlete who's supposed to work under pressure and never to lose his composure? How? What caused him that night to become so emotional in public? Why this expression of deep affection and gratitude? Well, the answer is simple. What they had done for him, he could not thank them enough for. They saved his life. When he laid there helpless, they came to his aid. When he laid there helpless and couldn't even ask for assistance, they came running. And they saved his life. And friends, that story captures the message and the tone of today's message about Jesus coming to the rescue of sinners. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, this morning we should be able to say with tears in our eyes, Jesus has saved my life. See, the main takeaway of today's message is this. Experiencing undeserved forgiveness for our sins should cause us to express deep affection for Christ. That's the takeaway of this passage that we just read. That experiencing undeserved forgiveness for our sins, it, it should do something. It should cause us to express deep affection for Christ. This morning we are going to look at this passage once again under the following three headings. If you're taking notes, here's our outline. Verses 36 through 40, we see a public display of affection. Verses 41 through 47, a prophetic parable. And verses 48 through 50, a proclamation of salvation. Let's, let's begin with verses 36 through 40 and a public display 
of affection. We're, we're informed in verse 36 that a certain Pharisee who we find out later, whose name is Simon, he invites Jesus to his house for a meal. Now, nothing in Luke's description of this meal should cause us to think that the motive of this Pharisee was impure. As far as we can tell, he may have been skeptical, but he appears to be interested in spending time with Jesus. And yet, at some point during the meal, a woman who had a reputation for being a sinner shows up at the dinner party. Now, we don't want to spend a lot of time here, but if you're wondering how did this happen, remember their houses are different than ours. They're not just closed walls. They're probably having a large feast in that area. They may be even sitting in, in what the dining room would be. Might not even have walls to it, so the public is walking up. So if you're wondering how could this woman get here, she hears about this dinner party and hears who is there and she wants to come. And what she did once she arrived, once she saw Jesus, well, it changed the atmosphere of the meal, didn't it? What she did not only was noticeable, what she did could not be ignored. Look at verses 37 and 38 again. And behold... A woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he, being Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Luke here uses very descriptive words to paint a picture of what occurred that day. Here, here comes this woman. This woman who obviously knew who Jesus was and she came to honor him. In the same way that Damar Hamlin was given this opportunity to honor those who, who had saved his life, here comes this woman to honor Jesus. She comes to this meal uninvited, with a very expensive fragrant oil. And she's doing this in order to anoint Jesus, which in that culture would have been a sign of honor. She's coming to honor Him. And upon seeing Jesus, we're told she begins to sob. She begins to sob. That, that's what Luke tells us when he uses the phrase that she wet His feet with her tears. That word wet in the Greek, when it's used Anywhere else in the New Testament, it speaks of rain. <laughs> so she's not just standing there at his feet with a few little tears running down her eyes. If so, we know that she is pouring out tears because it says that she has cried so much that she has to wipe his feet with her hair. Which, by the woman, by the way, a, a woman's hair meant a lot to her in that culture. Her hair was seen as an expression of beauty, and here she is, wiping Jesus' feet with it. But that's not all. Luke informs us that she kissed his feet. She kisses his feet. She comes up behind him as he sits at the table and she begins to kiss, listen, a part of his body that was viewed as dirty and dishonorable. Why, why do you think Peter 
responded the way he did when Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. She's not just anointing his feet, she's kissing them. Picture her down on all fours, holding his foot in her hand, just kissing it with tears running down her face. Now by doing this, this this woman is expressing humility before Jesus. And by anointing his feet with this costly, fragrant oil, she's publicly honoring him. Why? Why is she doing this? Because she knew that with Jesus, there was forgiveness. That's why she came. She came to honor the one who she knew offered forgiveness, not just for sins, but for her sins. Yes, she may be known in town as the sinner, but Jesus is known in town as the friend of sinners. And so there she comes. She may not be welcomed by Simon, who's hosting the meal, but she knew she was welcomed by Jesus. And as you can imagine, her actions could not be ignored. Because they were a public display of affection from a woman with a reputation as a sinner. That's why we read what we do in verse 39 when the Pharisee begins to wonder, why isn't Jesus responding by pushing her away? It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who And what sort of woman this is who is touching him? For she is a sinner. See, Simon, we're told, begins to question in his mind, not out loud. He begins to question in his mind, why is Jesus letting her do this? Either he doesn't know who she is, or worse, he doesn't. And either one of those would have proven he's not a righteous prophet from God. Because if he was a righteous prophet from God, he would know who this woman is. And if he was a righteous prophet from God and he knew who she is, he wouldn't be letting her do that. And that's why Jesus then responds the way he does. See, her public display of affection made everyone uncomfortable. Therefore, Simon questions whether Jesus is a prophet. So what does Jesus do next? Jesus must demonstrate to Simon, yes, I know who she is. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered him, say it, teacher. See, What's about to happen next is Jesus is about to show Simon that not only did he know who this woman was, but most importantly, he knew what was taking place in Simon's heart. Oh, you wonder if I'm a prophet? First of all, I know the thoughts you just had. More importantly than yes, I know who this woman is. I know what's going on inside. And therefore... He shares this prophetic parable, verses 41 through 47. 
We read that after Jesus has asked Simon's permission to say something to him, and Simon gives him permission, says, yeah, say say whatever you need to say, teacher. Jesus proceeded to share a parable that I, I think is a prophetic parable. Look again at this parable, verses 41 and 42. Jesus says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, in this parable, this moneylender is owed money by two people. One man that is behind paying him back two months' wages and another man who is unable to pay him two years' wages. Both are relieved of their debt. Both of them are. Both relieved of their debt, not because the moneylender is required to do so. No, his act of debt forgiveness was undeserved. And both debtors, you would imagine, would have been grateful for being forgiven of a debt they owed that they could not repay, and they were released of this debt even though they didn't deserve it. But Jesus says, But one of them will be more grateful. One of them will be more expressive because the debt they owed was far larger. And he asked Simon, wouldn't you agree? And that's when Simon at the end of verse 42 kind of begrudgingly answers the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And then Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now what Jesus does next demonstrates the reason he told the parable. And what Jesus does next reveals the meaning behind the forgiveness of debt in the parable. And it has nothing to do with money. After telling this parable, asking Simon this question, And Simon answering the question exactly how Jesus expected, verses 44 through 47, this is what happens next. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not Cease to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. but She's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Simon here is confronted with the fact that this sinful woman came to Jesus expressing public affection for him. Acts of affection which Simon did not express towards Jesus, even though he was the host of this party. She's doing what he did not do. And why? Because she was fully aware of the debt of sin she had been forgiven. That was the whole point of this parable. The very fact 
That Simon was asking that question in his mind revealed something about his heart that he needed to see. And Jesus is trying to show him that here. According to Jesus, this woman loved much because she had been forgiven much. This implies that she already knew that forgiveness was offered to a sinner like herself through Jesus Christ. So we must not read it that she's coming hoping that all of these acts will make Jesus say, oh, well, that's very noble of you. That's very, okay, now you're saved. She already knows he forgives sins. She's not coming thinking, if I love him enough, if I show him enough, maybe he'll forgive me. She has already heard he is the one who forgives sins. And so she's coming to express her affection for Jesus. It appears she knew that Jesus was the friend of sinners before she came to the meal that day. See, her reason for coming was to publicly express her affection because she had been forgiven of her sins. Now, before we talk any more about this woman and lessons we can learn from her, I first must draw attention to the Pharisee and Jesus' response to the Pharisee. Think about it. After all, this, this parable was given to the Pharisee for his benefit, not for hers. So before we move on to what does she teach us, the first thing is, why, why did Jesus say these things to this man? And not only does he share this parable for Simon, Jesus ends his explanation of the parable with a word about Simon's response. Do you remember what Jesus said at the very end? Those who are forgiven little, love little. Who do you think he was talking about? Now, does this imply when we think about how Jesus, what Jesus said here, that those who are forgiven little, love little, does that imply that if you've sinned in less grievous ways, as I'm sure the, the Pharisee had probably sinned in less grievous ways compared to this sinful woman, D does that mean you will never be able to express great love for Jesus? Is that the point? Maybe you're here today and you, you read this parable and wonder, Pastor, if I, if I grew up in the church and I've trusted Jesus from a young age and, and God has been so kind to restrain me from a life of grievous sin, unlike others whom, whom God has saved from a wicked lifestyle, you may be wondering, does that mean my level of affection for Christ can only be small? If I don't have a testimony like others, does that mean that my affection for Christ will be small? Well, first of all, this parable was not spoken by Jesus to lay down a hard and fast truth about how levels of forgiveness determine the degrees in which we express our love for Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying here. We, we must remember this. As we come to everything Jesus says, but especially his parables, they're always shared with a specific context. So we must read this in context. This Pharisee was wondering why Jesus didn't stop this sinful woman's expression of affection for him. 
It's not like Jesus in His great sermon that we just heard and spent four weeks on. It's not like He said it in the context of that. No, He, he knew what was going on in this Pharisee's heart and He shared this parable with a specific context. And I, I believe the key to understanding this parable is not by simply focusing on the amount of debt that was owed. But the fact that both were forgiven a debt they could not pay and their forgiveness was undeserved. So it's not about the amount. The point that Jesus was making is both of them owed a debt, neither of them can pay it, and the moneylender said, you're forgiven though you don't deserve it. You see, this Pharisee should have responded to Jesus with much appreciation and affection because he should have known that he was a sinner in need of forgiveness and Jesus was the friend of sinners. But he didn't. Consider this. Why do you think Jesus took Simon up on his invitation to come eat at his house? Do you remember from last week about Jesus' reputation that's going around. Listen to what they say about Jesus. Verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then we read verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Do you think Luke's just putting this story here just for fun? You know, this is the only place this story is found in the four Gospels. Luke puts this story here to say, Jesus had a reputation of, of eating with sinners. Next story. And a Pharisee says, would you come eat at my house? <laughs> I love what Del Davis said in his commentary. He says, we run into a surprise at the very beginning of this passage. Jesus accepts an invitation to lunch from a Pharisee. If Jesus had... Come to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. And if the Pharisees are lost, then why shouldn't Jesus spend time at Simon's dinner table? And then he says this. If Jesus didn't ever associate with moral, living, religiously arrogant Pharisees, why a good number of us would not be in the kingdom of God. Aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't associate with some sinners to the exclusion of others? Jesus is a true friend of sinners, whether they know that they're a sinner or they have no clue how sinful they are. So here's the question for you and I this morning. Is this the way you see Jesus? As the friend of sinners. As the friend of sinners, and do you see yourself as a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness? Now, if we stopped here in verse 47, at this point we would know Jesus really is a prophet, and he really is a friend of sinners, but he's more. That brings us now to verses 48 through 50, a proclamation of salvation. Now we're told that Jesus addresses this woman. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Do do you recall what happened last time Jesus made that declaration back in chapter 5, verses 20 through 21? People didn't hear Jesus say that and say, that is so gracious of him. They said, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. And that's exactly what they're asking in verse 49. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this, they say? Well, the answer, Jesus is the Son of God incarnate who came to seek and save the lost. That's who He is. That's the entire theme of Luke's gospel in a single sentence. Jesus is the Son of God incarnate who came to seek and save the lost. And have you noticed something? This woman in this story, she never speaks. And up to this point in the narrative, Jesus hasn't said anything to her until verse 48. And then he says something to her to end this passage in verse 50. And listen to what he proclaims. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Did you hear that? Jesus just proclaimed in the presence of everyone, all of these religious leaders, these people who probably fasted and prayed and had all the rituals and knew the Old Testament scriptures, Jesus declared in front of them all that this woman, not the Pharisee, this woman has experienced salvation. And the reason she was saved despite Being a sinner is explicitly stated by Jesus. Why is she saved? Because of her faith. She's saved because of her faith. Listen, churches, those living in the Bible Belt, we hear phrases like, are you saved, being used quite frequently. If you've grown up in a church, you've probably heard that expression many times. Are you saved? But often that that phrase gets used with regularity, but not with clarity. For example, Pastor Odom was recounting to me a story from this past week in which he was in a conversation with, with a woman. And when she was asked, what must one do to be saved? And this was a woman in her 70s who has been in church all of her life. She's now in church. This was her answer. Wow. That's a hard question to answer. Church, that should not be a hard question to answer. That should not be a hard question to answer. To be saved is to acknowledge you're a sinner who deserves God's judgment, but instead of receiving what you deserve, God has made a way for you and I to receive undeserved forgiveness for our sins through the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus died in our place for our sins in order for us to live at peace with God. And we receive this gift of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. So let's be clear. What does it mean to be saved? That's it. I'm a sinner who deserves God's justice. But instead of receiving what I deserve, 
I've been given forgiveness because of Jesus who died in my place for my sins. And all I have to do to receive this gift of salvation is believe. So now that we're clear, let me ask you this question. Are you saved? I don't mean have you just said a prayer? Have you walked an aisle? Have you been confirmed in a church? Do you believe that Jesus really was a real person and He really was God in the flesh? Have you acknowledged that you are a sinner deserving God's judgment? But you've received what you haven't deserve because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Is that your story? If so, how should you and I respond once we've experienced saving faith? Well, this is where we turn back in closing to this woman. What do we learn from her? Here's what we should do Once we've experienced this saving faith, we should express deep affection for Christ. We don't express deep affection so that Jesus will forgive us. We express deep affection because He has forgiven us. Think about it. Church, if this woman responded with such great affection, Such great affection was on display on that day. And yet, all she knew was that she was forgiven because Jesus told her that she was. How much more so should we respond in deep affection for Christ because we know that He purchased our forgiveness on a cross? She didn't have a cross. And she comes undone by him just saying, you're forgiven. How much more as we look to the Savior dying in our place, as we look at an empty tomb, should we not be people who say, I want to express deep affection for Jesus. I want to end by reading from this article entitled Kindle Worship with Confession written by Olin Stubbs because I think he captures what we're called to do. And I want us to end with these words. He says, imagine you're walking along the beach with a friend and cut your toe in a seashell. Your friend happens to have a band-aid for you. How do you respond? You're grateful. You say, thanks. But love for your friend does not stir up on any deep levels. Now imagine that you and your friend are on the beach and a tsunami sweeps you out to sea. Just before you drowned, your friend pulls you out to shore and revives you. And he almost dies in the process. Now how would you respond? Well, gratitude and affection would immediately swell in your heart. Your love for your friend would overflow in thanks and praise and delight. Then he says this. Many of us have a band-aid view of Christ. 
We know we aren't perfect. Jesus died on the cross to help us out and to polish off our rough spots. We would never say it that way. But compared to the people we hear on the news, we often feel smug in our day-to-day righteousness. And a small view of our sin always leads to a small view of our Savior. The reality is that Christ did dive into the tsunami of God's wrath to save us. And he didn't merely risk his life. He died in the process for in our place. Not only that, but he now lives to intercede for us as our ongoing life support system. And our hearts should be filled to overflowing with thankful worship every day. Church, may it never be said of the members of LifeGate Church that we worship a band-aid saint. We do not worship a band-aid Savior. We worship the friend of sinners. A friend who laid down his life because apart from his death, none of us could repay the debt we owed. But because of his death, we are completely forgiven. That's good news. And that's not just good news that we should just, in our minds, be grateful for. It should cause us to act like this woman. (laughs) Can I I just leave you with this thought as we close? I didn't plan on saying this. Can, Can I just encourage you to let her example compel you? Can you imagine how humiliating that was? And yet she didn't care what anyone thought. How often on Sunday mornings are you concerned with, I wonder who's looking at me. I wonder who hears my voice. It's not a good voice. May her example compel us. She didn't care who saw. She cared about one. She wanted Jesus Christ to know in every way possible that I can express my things with my tears, with my hair. I will kiss your feet. I want you to know I am aware of how forgiven I am. And you are worthy of every bit of affection. May that be true of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may we now after hearing such wonderful truth that just, oh Lord, it just does something to our hearts to hear stories like this that remind us in a fresh way what a friend of sinners Jesus is and what a Savior we have in Jesus. Now, Lord, may we appropriately, completely, affectionately express our thanksgiving to you who has forgiven us, who has given us a gift we don't deserve. How kind of you. How gracious.
may you receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.